Hey guys, welcome to Lords of Order, episode 83. Lords of Order is a DC Doctor Fate fan podcast. It is hosted by Ed Moore, that is me, and there will be spoilers. Uh, but not so much this show. This show is books dated 84, 85, so it's been about, what, 30-some years. If you want to send feedback, you can leave comments on the website, bigtimenoise.com slash Fate. Email it to the Dr. Fate Fan Podcast at gmail.com. Lords of Order has Facebook and Google Plus pages, and on Twitter, Teal Productions will get them to me. And speaking of feedback, I have a comment that was posted on the episode 76 post from Vegan Boy. And he says, More fun just gets more and more fun. Although Dr. Fate has seemingly seemingly and inexplicably abandoned his magical feats at this point in his crime-fighting career, I'm still enjoying his less mystic adventures. The Red Sage's use of cards and card-themed minions can be seen as precursors to the Justice League villains, the Royal Flush Gang, that would appear 24 years later. It's also interesting to note that Gardner Fox created both. Keep the Golden Age coverage coming. Thank you very much, Vegan Boy. I appreciate the feedback. And I agree. Uh, Very much, you can see Royal Flush in there and other um, card-wielding villains that there have been. Um, You see a touch of that in Gambit with his flinging of the cards, although there is more to it than just that for Gambit. Other sports affiliated characters that have flung razor-sharp cards and things like that. So, yeah, definitely this being one of the earliest appearances of that type, that style of character, be he, she, villain, or hero. Now, today we have, or this morning or tonight, or I'll just say this episode, and you can contend with the timing for you. All-Star Squadron, um, some... Golden Age retcon stories that we have here. Going to be covering appearances of Dr. Fate in All-Star Squadron issues 30 through 49, uh, narrowing the focus some on issues 30, 31, and 32, and 47, 48, 49. Some of those issues had a mere cameo in a panel, according to the... um, list of appearances that I use, those appearances that were more substantial, I will be more than happy to talk about. So all six of those don't deserve any type of in-depth coverage, only about three or maybe four of those issues. All of these were written by Roy Thomas. They were penciled by Mike Harris, Todd McFarlane, Mike Clark, Rick Hoberg, Mike Macklin, and Richard Howell. They were inked by Sam De La Rosa, Mike Macklin, and Bill, Bill Collins, Vince Coletta and Tony DiZuniga, colored by Carl Gafford and Jean D'Angelo, lettered by David Cody Weiss and Costanza. So first, we'll start with issue 31. And this is uh, an update and addition to the story from All-Star Comics, the 1940 volume, issue 12. But this time it's being told by Wonder Woman as she is sitting in all-Star Squadron headquarters transcribing it in the company of um, Liberty Bell, 
who is also there as leader of the All-Star Squad, and she's trying to get some things straight for the next meeting. Uh, now, I covered All-Star Comics 12 in episode 80, if you want to go back and see what I had to say about that particular issue in that episode. Uh, some things that I've noticed in this story, we learn that the Black Dragon was a faction within the Imperial Japanese Army. My take on that from All-Star Comics was that it was a Japanese faction. It was outside the military. But here they're saying it is it is a uh, more uh, leftist, I guess would be a more militarized faction of the Imperial Army itself. The uniforms are slightly different here than they were rendered back in 1940, what was that, 43 or 44, I believe, that that book appeared. Now, what this issue of All-Star Squadron, and of course, uh, more specifically, Roy Thomas wanted to do, was they wanted to add some to the Hawkman's and Adams and Johnny Thunders portions of the story. Their their missions as they were undertaken as part of the overall story from All-Star Comics 12. We also see by the end of this issue that Roosevelt signs Executive Order 9066 on uh, February 19, 1942 into being. Uh, that was the unfortunate Executive Order. Uh, pardon me for my political take on this, uh, whereby the Americans herded unnecessarily innocent Japanese citizens into internment camps, um, regardless of what anyone in the government will tell you, much like the Jews were done by the Nazis. I'm sorry, but it, it is the very same thing. Fortunately, the outcome was nowhere near as dire, but the reasoning behind were, was the exact same thing, and I hesitate to say that the treatment while they were in there was significantly different overall. Now, of course, I have never heard reports of there being an American, Dr. Mengele, who did those kind of things to the Japanese people, but at the time of their internment, I'm sure the conditions were very, very similar. I will now step down. Um, that's all for the 30, 31, and 32 bunch of issues, really. Uh, moving on to the 47, 48, and 49 batch. Episode 47, um, I talked about, or issue 47, I talked about in episode 9 of the show. It is the retelling of the origin of Dr. Fate. So that is the opening salvo in these three issues, all of which very heavily use Dr. Fate, finally. Moving on to issue 48, uh, it opens with a scene of the Shining Knight encountering uh, and fighting another knight who, in the end, turns out to be. Arthur Pendragon. Arthur Pendragon being King Arthur, uh, being the liege that Sir Justin originally fought under back in his his own time. He is time displaced. I don't want to get into that. Those of you that do, you can you can Google that and find out Sir Justin's story. A very interesting take as part of the New 52. I believe it was New 52. One of these recent DC reboots on Sir Justin and some other knights uh, at that time period. Very, very good series. You should look that up. Moving on with issue 48 of All-Star Squadron, a day later from the opening scene, we see that uh, Dr. Midnight, Robot Man, Firebrand, and Dr. Fate 
have caught a taxi ride aboard a U.S. bomber to England to answer a summons of Dr. Fate by Winston Churchill. Firebrand is going because she's kind of sweet on the Shining Knight, who she thinks that this is in reference to because he hasn't been heard of for a little while. Midnight is accompanying Firebrand because he's kind of sweet on her. Robot Man, I don't know, just fleshes out the group, I guess. Nothing was said as to specifically why he was there. He just was. As they arrive over London, uh, they do so in the midst of a German bomb sortie on London. The four heroes, as well as the Blackhawks, repel the German attack over London. All good guys land at a nearby aerodrome, and we see the first actual meeting between uh, the Blackhawks and most of these American heroes. At this time, when the Blackhawks are used as closely to their... 30s and 40s and 50s personas as they can be, the Blackhawks are just rife with ill-conceived stereotypical attributes for their people. The names, their habits, the way they speak, it's just all very um, non-Caucasian male stereotyped stuff. Heads up for those of you that don't like that kind of stuff. Um, It doesn't necessarily bother me because I understand where it was coming from, but that doesn't mean I like it. I I don't think it was necessary to maintain that kind of gulf between the Caucasian male, which was the primary target for comics at that time, and everyone else, uh, but it was done. Something distinctly I noticed about the Blackhawks, and in, in every appearance, if you go back and read uh, quality police comics, those read the um, well, most anything, but the Blackhawks in particular, because they were an international group. Oh, the uh, ill-conceived stereotypes are just are, are rife in that. Um, so, moving on, we find that uh, Churchill, as I said, asked Doctor Fate specifically for help because Sir Justin, uh, the Shining Knight, was sent on a secret mission and has not been heard from since. So in updating our All-Star Squadron members by Churchill, they go now on a uh, search-and-retrieve mission for the Shining Knight, who is on a secret mission for Churchill. When they arrive where they're going, uh, they find a fully conceived medieval castle in 1940, what, 42, I think this occurs, 1942 Britain. Of course, it stands out. Um, In arriving there, they take some lumps from the defenders. Ultimately, Dr. Fate defeats via fisticuffs, physical interaction, because again, remember, he's not wielding magic anymore, because he's got the half-helm. This is the half-helm, Dr. Fate. Um, He is who appears in, I believe, the entire run of All-Star Comics. Um, He defeats a robotic, magic-wielding simulacrum of Merlin. The Arthur Pendragon that we saw at the very beginning of the uh, the comic reveals himself to Dr. Fate, because he is the only one conscious, as being Wotan 
who now holds Sir Justin under his sway. So he has defeated and magicked the Shining Knight to where now the Shining Knight thinks that he is indeed King Arthur, and he is um, answering the clarion call of his liege. All-Star Comics, issue 49. Under the orders of Wotan, he directly attacks and defeats Dr. Fate. A couple interesting things come out here. We find that Wotan's first battle with Dr. Fate, which I talked about way back in episode one of this very show, occurred about two years prior to the happenings in issue 49 of All-Star Squadron, and that the most recent run-in between Wotan and Dr. Fate, uh, Wotan teaming up with Ian Karkle, the human shadow, something like that, I discussed in episode 41 of the podcast, happened about a year prior to this appearance of uh, Dr. Fate in issue 49. So, just some some things to, to make some sort of timeline there. While this is going on inside, outside, the British Army lays siege to, the, to, to Wotan's castle. Ultimately, they receive some assistance from Our Man and Blackhawk, who had been forgotten about because they seemingly perished in the initial sortie between the All-Stars and the castle as Merlin crashed Blackhawk's plane. And in his first appearance in the story, Wotan finished that by destroying by immolation the plane itself. So it was assumed, and of course I'm throwing up the big air quotes there, assumed that Our Man and Blackhawk were still in the plane and had perished. Well, they were not. Here they make their reappearance to save the day, uh, but actually they don't really. Uh, They take some lumps too. They don't do too well. Our Man makes a decision that is ultimately by the end of the story going to cost him, and those that are familiar with All-Star Comics lore... uh, know what that decision is. Shining Knight frees his mind from from the, the spell that Wotan is under, both with himself and with some things happening out on the battlefield between the British forces and Black Hawk and Hourman on one side, and robotic knights commanded by Wotan that apparently either were directly created or the um, plans to construct the blueprints were created by Robot Man. Somehow he is connected to these robotic knights. Uh, Again, it doesn't go into it too much, but there is a line or two dropped by Robot Man. Uh, Because of all that, the Shining Knight is able to free his mind. Uh, Don't be so shallow. Be color... No, I'm sorry. That was a joke, by the way. If you guys don't get it, I apologize. I thought it was funny at the time it entered my head. That's what I do in a lot of these shows, is just spout out the stuff that enters my head, so... All right, um, Dr. Fate, Firebrand, Robot Man are all freed by the Shining Knight, as well as one Dr. Occult, who has not been seen in over 40, in in about 50 years, rather, uh, not since his run in Morphon Comics, issues 6 through 33, which were published from 1935 through 1938. So, 88 uh, is about the time when this book... It's been 50 years since this character has been seen, and Roy Thomas dredged him up and threw him in here. That's kind of cool. Now, all the heroes now who are freed work together to defeat the last of Wotan's forces. 
Um, and as I said, the price of the win is a sorely injured Dr. Midnight, not just injured, but there are some other issues going on there, um, who is scooped up by Dr. Fate and flown out as he can still fly, even though he doesn't have magic. He's got some residual magics, but not the like major spell casting banish you to another dimension magics that, that he used to have with the full helm. What, what, not the full helm, with the actual helm of Thoth. Now it's a man-made half-helm just to cover his identity. Um, So he takes Dr. Midnight off to try to find medical help, and that is where our catch-up, our Golden Age retcon ends. Next episode, I will be talking about some actual Golden Age fun from More Fun Comics, the 1936 volume, issue 83. Thanks a lot, guys. Catch you next time. Lords of Order is a Teal production, and as such is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, non-derivative 3.0 unported license. 